0: If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8, and we in verses 4 through 18. Luke chapter 8, and verses 4 through 18. We are continuing this week with our second part of the parable of the souls. Um, a couple things, as we said last week, that's unusual about this parable is it's found in three of the four Gospels. It's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, uh, Matthew 13, Mark 4, and it's found in Luke 8. Now, I picked... Luke 8 to teach from, and there's a reason for that, and I'll explain uh, a little bit later why I picked uh, Luke 8 as opposed to the other two. Um, the other thing that's unusual about this parable is that Jesus explains everything about it. A lot of times the parables, he'll, he'll teach a parable, and he doesn't really explain it. kind of leaves it up to us to, to figure out what it means within the context of his, of his teaching, But on this parable, he explains it. Now, let's begin here. Have you ever asked yourself questions like this? Why would someone in their right mind turn down heaven uh, in exchange for hell? Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody choose darkness over light or strife over peace or sin over holiness? Why, Why do people continuously reject the gospel? Well, in today's parable of the souls, Jesus answers those questions for it. Now, there are other answers in the Bible. For example, John 3, the, John says the light came into the world and people love darkness rather than light. They actually love darkness. They love sin. They, they love doing their own thing. But Jesus answers it today in a, in a very memorable way, and that is using a parable. And it turns out that the answer, when we see the answer, it turns out that it's not a matter of the adequacy of the message. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with the Gospel. And by the way, it's not you. It's not the skill of the communicator. You, people say, well, you know, if I could just remember more Scriptures, or if I could just just deliver the Gospel, if I could witness with more confidence, then more people would come to the Lord. It turns out that's not it at all either. It, it always is always about the heart of the hearer that 's what Jesus is saying. This is what it 's always about it 's not about the message it 's not about the, the communicator it 's about the heart of the hearer and that truth is made uh, very clear in today 's parable so let 's begin in Luke chapter eight and we 'll start with verse four. Uh, by the way, if you weren 't here last week, you can get the podcast and we 'll go through this very quickly and review where we were. Uh, verse four, and when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. Now, as we said last week, this is not like planting okra seeds. You know, you don't. We, a lot of us plant seeds, and you know, we plow up a furrow and you drop seeds in one at a time. That is not what this guy is doing. He is casting seed. He's spread. It's like grass seed. If you ever spread, if you ever bought rye grass in the winter time, and you cast, this is what he's doing. Uh, He's he's planting grain. So he puts a bag or some kind of container, he reaches in, he grabs a handful of seed, and he scatters that seed. So this is what Jesus is talking about. Verse 5, "...and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it." Now we said last week, in that day, they didn't have any fences that separated fields. They didn't have any rock walls or things like that. The only things that separated the edge of a field from another field would be a beaten down path that people would use. And in that day, in a very arid climate, as, as they traveled that path, it would get as hard as concrete or as hard as asphalt pavement. And as, as he got near the edge of the field, naturally some of that seed would fall on the path. And it could not penetrate. It would just lay there, people would walk over it, and eventually birds of the air would come and eat it. Verse 6, And some fell on the rock... And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, remember from last week what we said. This isn't talking about a field that's full of rocks. No self-respecting farmer would allow that. They always would remove the rocks and pebbles and anything from the field. This is talking about soil that has a rock bed underneath it. From the top, when you look at it, it looks like good soil. But a few inches underneath it, there's a bed of rock. So these plants, would, when they're small, they would pop up because they, they don't need much. They don't need much water. They don't need very many nutrients. But as they go down and, and drought comes and they need to get their roots deep, they can't because they hit this rock bed. So eventually they need more water, more nutrients. They can't get it. So they wither and they, they die. Verse 7, some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Now, if you ever come to our garden, this is what our garden looks like, right? We, we start out with good intentions, everything looks great, but then somehow we just lose energy and you go out there and the poor old tomatoes are struggling and the peas are struggling and there's weeds and by that point it's a lost cause, right? And, and you never really get any fruit from it. They, they try, they do their best, but they just can't produce because they're being choked out. We all know what that means. Verse 8, and some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Now, as we get there, that he's telling this parable, right? And it says, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what that tells us is there is a deeper meaning to this parable, right? Jesus isn't just talking about farming. That's, that, he's not interested in that. There's something else, there's a deeper spiritual meaning below this. So he calls out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, we talked about this last week. What Jesus is saying is parables in his ministry had two purposes. One purpose was to reveal and save, but on the other hand, it was to conceal and harden. Everybody with me? We've talked about this over and over. Yes, parables are to reveal truth to believers, but to unbelievers, they actually hide truth. And that was one of the the two-purpose ministry of parables, and we talked about that last week. We come to verse 11. So his disciples had said, Jesus, what does this parable mean? So he begins to explain it. Verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, I won't say much about this other than, other than this little illustration. Uh, a few months ago, Kathy's daddy was really sick, and, and we were over at his house, and he wasn't able to get out in his garden, and he wanted to plant some okra seeds. And uh, there's an old farmer's trick. Some of y'all may know about this. Before you plant seeds, you soak them in water. And what it does, it softens the shell. Um, God has actually given seeds a really tough shell on the outside. And so if you soak them in water, it, it makes them uh, do whatever they do quicker, right? Well, so we went and got these seeds he wanted us to plant, but the problem was he, we had, he had soaked them in water too long. And when we picked them up, you could tell the water was kind of miscolored and it smelled bad, and it was like, man, I, I don't think these seeds are any good. But he wanted us to plant them, so we did. We went out and we planted those okra seeds. Well, sure enough, those seeds weren't any good. The ochre came up and they, they made about four or five inch plants, but they never, they never grew mature because the seed was bad. Now, I say all that to say this. Listen, the seed is the Word of God. Well, it is our job to plant the unadulterated, unfiltered Word of God. We don't water it down. We don't plant some of the Word. We don't plant most of the Word. We plant all of the Word. Everybody with me? The good, the bad, what you like, what you don't like, the seed is the Word of God. If we water it down, if we dilute it, if we change it, then it's no longer the Word of God anymore. We've got a bad seed, so to speak. So make sure we, we, when we give the gospel, we give all the gospel. Verse 12, Jesus begins to explain. He says, "...the ones along the path are those who have heard." And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, we covered the first two last week. We'll go through them very quickly. And I've got a question about... I'll call this the hard heart. This is the one that falls on on the path and it can't penetrate. Here's a question. Is this person a Christian, yes or no? Read it again. Is that person a Christian, yes or no? No, absolutely not. How do we know? Because Jesus says so that they may not believe and be saved. So it's very clear. You're going to notice from left to right along a spectrum, we're, we're going to move from those who are not saved at all toward those who are really saved. And we're going to move across. You'll watch him as the story moves across. And in this first person, he makes it very clear, this first heart, this person is not a Christian. He says it, they may not believe and be saved. This is an individual that really never shows an interest in the gospel. Right? They're like those footpaths that, that crisscross the fields of Israel. They're hard. They're, they're beaten down. The Word of God cannot penetrate it at all. They will not respond to the invitation of grace. And you can try to scare them with judgment and hell. It won't matter. It won't matter at all. Their heart is as hard as it, as it comes. Verse uh, 13. This is the superficial heart we covered last week. The ones on the rock are those whom, when they hear the Word, receive it with joy... But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. These are people when they come in. Uh, Pastor Henry gives an invitation, and they go down to the altar, and they pray a prayer. And they are, by the way, they're smiling ear to ear. They receive it with what joy, man! They are happy. This is the best. This is what they've been looking for. This is this is the answer. But what happens? They walk out of here. And eventually, problems come into their life. Eventually, they realize Jesus isn't a get out of jail free card. Tribulation, testing, pressure comes upon them. And Jesus says, when that happens, they fall away. Now, here's the question Is this person a Christian? Is this person a Christian? No. Look at what Jesus said. In time of testing, they do what? They fall away. See, the Bible's very clear about people that fall away. 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. That word of us means, in the Greek means of the same nature. In other words, they're not regenerated. Spiritually, they're not of us. If they had been of us, they would have what? They'd have stayed. They wouldn't have left. They wouldn't have fallen away. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Look at Romans 11.22. Paul says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have what? Fallen. But God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in His kindness, otherwise you too will be what? Cut off. You fall away, you're cut off. This person is not a Christian. And so again, they're not the hard-hearted. They're open to the gospel. They hear it. They even even receive it and believe for a while, but eventually when pressure comes, when tribulations, when trials, they fall away. You see, it was true in Jesus' day. It's still true today. There will always be people who believe for a while, but their belief is not a belief unto salvation. They're like Jesus' brothers. You remember in John, uh, I forget the chapter, but uh, uh, Jesus' brother says, man, go up to Jerusalem and do your miracles so everybody can see you. And it sounds like they believe. And then John adds this, this uh, little addendum, even his brothers didn't believe in him. See, they believed in him as a miracle worker. They believed in him as a, as a teacher. They believed in him maybe as a prophet, but they didn't believe in his mission. They didn't believe that he had come to die for their sins. And it says even their brothers didn't believe in him. You see, eventually these type of people, when testing comes, and guys, listen to me, it will come. It will come. Testing will come to every single person in this room. If it hasn't already, if it has come, it's probably coming again. And I'll show you here in just a second why. why. Number three, that's where we were last week, so we're all called up. Now we get to the last two, the worldly heart, verse 14. Jesus says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is a person who, on the outside, the soil looks good. It's not hard. It's not beaten down like that footpath. It's tilled up. It looks good. And by the way, there's no rock underneath it. There's plenty of room for the roots to go down and get nutrients and moisture. The problem with this heart is, is the soil is full of these unseen impurities. Okay, you can't see it, but inside there's all these impurities. This is a person that is consumed with this life. This is a person who's consumed with the temporary world, with sinful pleasures, desires, ambition, prestige, home, cars, money, job. That's all they really... That it, it, I mean, these are, there are other things in their heart, other goals, other loves, other pleasures, other values that are strongly entrenched in this person's heart. They love the world. It is a heart that's cluttered with all of this stuff. And what it does, it's like mine and Kathy's garden. It chokes out the Word of God. And so you'll get little little tomatoes that start trying to come out, but they just never go anywhere. They never make anything because they're choked out by all the weeds and the thorns and everything else. That's what, what Jesus is talking about. It's the worldly heart. It's, a, it's somebody that hears the Word, but the Word is choked out. Now, here's the question. Is this person a Christian? Is this person a Christian? Now, I'm going to answer that this morning the best way I know how to do, and that is, I have no clue. I don't know. All Jesus says is this, their fruit does not mature. Their fruit does not mature. So I'm not sure. Listen, is there let me ask you this, is there such a thing as a carnal or fleshly or worldly Christian? Yes or no? Absolutely there is. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter three, one through three. He's writing to the church and he says, But I, and what does he call them? Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because, and by the way, he's talking about back then. When I first came to you, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready. And even now, a year later, two years later, he says, you're still not ready for it. You're still in the flesh. You're fighting with one another. You're, 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 you're jealous of one another. So he says, yes, you're Christians. I'm talking to you as Christians, but you are fleshly Christians. You are carnal Christians. You may have some fruit, but it's not, it's not maturing. You're not even ready to go on to the meat of the Word. Now, I want you to compare that for just a second. Now, I want you to watch Jesus' description of a Christian. This is found in John 15. Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear what? More fruit. See, I love this scripture. He's never satisfied. You, you make a half a bucket of tomatoes, he wants a bucket. You make a bucket, he wants two buckets. You make two buckets, he wants five. He's never satisfied. He's always pruning. He's always... He, 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 everybody with me? I mean, this is the life of a Christian. He's always pruning. You think, boy, I, I got that beat, and he just shows you something else that's wrong with you. Let's work on this. Yes or no? Oh, I got that beat. Oh, let me show you this thing over here. Wait, where did that come from? He prunes that. He wants more and more. He got Jesus goes on, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what? Much fruit. Now, I can tell you this. Yes, there's a thing as a carnal Christian, but if you're really saved, God will not allow you to stay there. There ain't no way. He's the Father. He's going to come in and He's going to discipline you and He's going to prune you and He's going to do everything He can to so that you start bringing forth mature fruit. He will not let you stay in that state. Everybody with me? See, here's why it's difficult for me to answer that question. If I have a person that's not bringing forth mature fruit, I don't know who that person is. Let me, and, and, I, and by the way, I think I'm backed up by the Bible here. There's a very interesting scripture in Hebrews that I want you to read. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And you can go back later and read verses 5 and 6, and I would encourage you to do this, because it talks a lot about this subject. This is the writer of Hebrews. He's writing a letter to the churches. And listen to what he says. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Listen, do you know, people that seemed to get saved over and over and over and over. Anybody with me? That's what he's talking about. He said, you, you, you should be moving on. You should be going on to other things, but all, you're, all you can deal with is faith in Christ and repentance. That should have been the basis of your Christianity. You should have moved on to bigger things, but you, can't keep, you keep going around that mountain. Over and over and over and over again. Now, watch what he says. He gives an example to that person. He says this For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and by the way, go read Isaiah 55. He's talking about the Word of God. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated. By the way, is immature fruit useful? No, a a crop that is useful is mature fruit. For land that is drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, if it keeps bearing thorns, if it keeps bearing thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. In other words, the writer is talking to him, he's saying, look, I don't know who you are. You, you keep The Word keeps falling and falling and falling and falling on you, and you're not bringing forth fruit. Your, your heart is full of those thorns and thistles. You just keep loving the world and loving the world. I don't know which one you are. Now watch what he says at the end here, verse 9. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He's saying, I, I, I think you're saved. I hope you're saved. I want you to be saved. I, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that I'll, we'll see better things. We'll see more mature fruit in your life. But in fact, what he's telling him is, I don't know who you are. So I don't know about this third soul. What I can tell you is if you're a Christian, if you're a person in church and your heart is filled with impurities, your heart is filled with the love of things of the world, and that tends to be your focus and it's constantly fighting with the Word of God and what it wants to produce, I can tell you that is a very dangerous situation to be in. That is a very dangerous situation to be in. That is not where we want to be, okay? We want to be here in verse 15, the good heart. As for for that in the good soul, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast in an honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience. Matthew says it this way, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. Mark says they are the one who hear the word and accept it. This this is a person who hears the gospel and they accept the whole message. They accept the fact that, that they are sinners and that they are under the wrath of God. They accept the fact that Jesus died for their sins, that the only way to heaven is to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They accept that. And they understand it. They see the value of it, the beauty of it, the glory of that message. They see themselves in the sight of God. That the only way to be saved is through uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way. They they accept that, and it's an honest heart. By the way, there's no rock bed underneath. There's no impurities floating around. This is a, he said, uh, 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 Luke says it's an honest heart. It means there's no duplicity. There's no hypocrisy here, right? They, they, they hear that message and they accept that message wholeheartedly. They're like the person that finds a treasure in the field. They sell everything they have to go buy that treasure. They see the value in it. They understand it. But I want you to notice something else that Jesus says. Look at verse 14. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word... Hold it fast. Hold it fast. See, the good heart holds on to the gospel so tight and will not let it go. They just will not let it go. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preach to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Read those four words with me. If you hold fast if you hold on to it and you will not let go. See, the, 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 the good heart grips the gospel truth, and they just will not let it go. Th- this is explained other ways in the Bible. Jesus calls this abiding in the Word. You remember in John chapter 8, He's teaching, a, and it says there was a bunch of people there, and they believed in Him. That sounds good. Then Jesus turns around in verse 31 and says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in my word, if you hold fast to my word, if you hold on with everything you've got, then you are truly my disciples. See, there's something about a true believer that they just will not let it go. It doesn't matter what comes into their life. And see, when there's acceptance and understanding and a holding tightly to the gospel truth, Jesus says, these bear fruit with patience. Patience. That word in one of your translations may say perseverance or endurance. Listen, and I want to be careful how I say this, but I'm just going to say it. Sometimes you may hear an evangelist or a preacher tell somebody, hey, come up to the front, pray a prayer, and you'll enter the kingdom of God. But listen, if praying a prayer would get people in the kingdom of God, I'd just start giving people $20 to pray a prayer. It's not a prayer, is it? It's something deep inside that accepts that message and, and values that message and grabs hold of that message. It's inside. That, what's coming out of your mouth is just, it's just an acclamation of that. Anybody can say it. It's what goes on deep in your heart. So I can't tell someone that comes up and prays, you've entered the kingdom of God, because I don't know that. I can't know that. You, you can't tell it because they pray a prayer. By the way, you can't tell it because they cry or dance or laugh or receive it with joy. How do you tell? Fruit with perseverance. Fruit with endurance. In other words, you come back in a year, come back in five years, come back in ten years, come back in forty years, and that person will still be serving God, and they'll still be producing fruit. That's what the good soul does. They produce fruit with endurance year year after year after year after year after year after year. Not for a short while but they just will not let go. Listen, this is a person who you can bring any trial against them you want. You bring cancer, you bring tragedy, you bring sickness, you bring loss. doesn't matter. They will not let go. They will not let go of that gospel. In fact, here's the thing about the Bible, and I know you all know this, but we need to be reminded of this every once in a while. Not only will trials and temptation and testing not deter a real Christian, they actually serve as fertilizer for fruit. Listen to what James says. This is an amazing scripture to me, and probably we could spend days on this scripture. Listen to what he says, James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith what's those last two words, produces endurance. You see, I run across people sometimes that think true believers endure in spite of testing. No. James says you endure because of testing. You don't endure in spite of it. The testing is actually producing endurance in your life. That's why he says count it pure joy. Be happy about it. Because it's, you're, not, you're not standing there saying, I've got I to survive this, I've got to survive this. As it's coming against you, faith is rising up in your heart. It's producing faith, it's producing strength, it's producing maturity, it's producing fruit. It's producing endurance. I mean, that is an amazing thing. So it's not in spite of it, it's because of it. Now, why did I choose Luke 8? I told you when I started, this, this parable is actually found in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I chose Luke, and I chose them because of verses 16 and 17. If you got your Bible, I want you to look at them. These two verses seem completely out of place when you first read it, but they're not. Jesus has told this parable. His disciples, he, he says, they, they come to him and say, Lord, can you explain this parable? And, and he says, okay, I'll tell you the secrets of the kingdom of God because it's been given to you. But I'm telling them parables because I'm hiding truth from those people out there. I'm hiding it from them. And then he goes on and explains the parable. And then in verses 16 and 17, he says this. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, what is he talking about? Right, You were just talking about farming and hearts and the Word of God. Now you're talking about lights and and bedstands and all of this stuff. What are you talking about? Well, remember back in verse 10. Jesus is talking to the disciples, right? And he says, one of the reasons I speak in parables is to hide the secrets of the kingdom of God. Yes or no? Isn't that what he said? Now just think for a second how confusing that would have been to the disciples. In fact, how confusing that would be to us. In other words, if Jesus hid the gospel, should we? If Jesus hid the secrets of the kingdom of God, what about us? Should we hide it? Everybody with me? That could be really confusing to them. See, that question is exactly what verses 16 and 17 are addressing. See, Jesus is making it plain here that just because He hid the gospel for a season or for a time, that does not mean that we are to do the same thing. Look at verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but they put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. See, what Jesus is saying to them is when you've received the light, when you've received the kingdom of God, don't hide it. Don't, don't put it under a bed. Don't put it under a bushel. Let everybody see it. See, it may be, Jesus is saying, that in my ministry, for, for my own purposes, my own sovereign reasons, I hid the gospel for some for a season. But things are about to change. Look at verse 17. For nothing that was hidden, is, there is nothing hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In other words, once again, in my sovereignty, I may have purposes for concealing that message for a season, but that is not what you're to do. Matthew ten twenty-seven says it this way: What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What I hear, what you hear whispered, you proclaim it from the housetops. So we don't have to worry. If you're confused sometimes about, well, you know, Jesus used parables to hide the the secrets of the kingdom of God. What does that say to me? Nothing. That was, his, that was his business for a particular time. He had reasons for that. But for us, proclaim it from the housetops. All the secrets of the kingdom of God, you share it with everybody. You, 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 what I whisper to you in the dark, you proclaim it in the light. So we don't have to worry about that. We may not understand why he did what he did, but that's not our business. Our business is to share the gospel with anybody and everybody that will listen. I want to close this morning. i got about 15 minutes. I want to close with two questions that I think that we have to answer or ask an answer coming out of this parable. Number one, how do we make sure that we have a good heart? How do we, if we're in this class this morning and we're hearing this parable, how do we create a good heart within us? How do we make sure that we have good soul that can receive the Word of God and bring forth fruit? How do we make sure that we're not the hard pan? How do we make sure that we're not the, the soil with the rock bed underneath? How do we make sure that we're not that soil with all those, those uh, in, uh, impurities, all those worldly things in us? Well, to answer that question, I got two answers. And they're going to seem the opposite of one another, but that's just because this is what the Bible teaches us. The first answer to this is this. How do you create a, a good, clean heart that can receive the Word of God? First answer is this, there is absolutely nothing that you can do. You see, the good heart is a heart that's been regenerated, that's been born again. Yes or no? See, that's the work of God. That's not you. You can't make that happen. Only God can do that. Jeremiah seventeen nine says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I always go back to that scripture, half the time I don't even know if my motives are right or wrong. My heart, I, I, everybody with me? I look at my motives sometimes and I can't quite figure, What am I, why, am I am I? sure I'm doing this for the right reasons? And I'm not even sure sometimes, because the heart, it's hard to know. That's why David in Psalms 51.10, when he asked for a clean heart, who did he ask to create it? Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right. Because he knew, I can't do it. I got no control over this at all. God has to create that clean heart. He has to create that, 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 um, that, that pure soul. And that's exactly what He said He would do. Ezekiel 36, 25, and 27. He prop, uh, Ezekiel's prophesying the Word of God. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put into you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my roles. God creates the clean heart, not us. We can't do it. we got no control over it. Second Corinthians 4, 4-6, this is exactly what we see being done in the New Testament. Paul's writing and he says this in verse 4, In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in verse 6, he says this, For the God, same God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We, we, listen, how is a clean, clean heart created? How is a new heart created? The same God who, who, who said, Let there be light in Genesis 1, the same guy looks into Derek's heart and says, let there be light. Let there be a clean heart. Let there be a new heart. He does that. I, I can't do it. And and, John, and if you want to know, well, how does it all work and when does it happen? We got no clue. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to, we call this Nick at night, he's talking to Nicodemus, right? And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now here's how, here's, here's him explaining it. The wind blows where it wants to, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. You got no idea how it's going to happen. Could it happen today? Could it happen tomorrow? Could it happen? We got no idea how it happens when it happens. I had somebody call me last week, last Saturday. Answer the phone. Says, Derek, I want to come to church with you tomorrow. And I'm like, How did that happen? I mean, that guy showed no interest at all, none. And then one day, boom. And, 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 and when you hear his story, it was an amazing thing. His wife was having a bad week. She's in Walmart, and she's on the phone, and she's crying. She puts up the phone, and a lady from Tennessee walks over and says, Can I pray with you? He prays with her and walks away. The woman goes home and says, I, I want to go to church Sunday. He picks up the phone and calls me. That woman from Tennessee has no idea. She's going back to Tennessee. How does God do all that? It's like the wind, man. <laughs> he just does what He wants to, when He wants to, where He wants to, how He wants to. You've got no idea what's going on. You just, you just ride that wave and rejoice. You just ride that wave and rejoice, right? But my second answer comes from the last verse in today's text. How do we create a clean heart? First answer is you got no control over it, but the second answer is you do. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Take care. Is that a command, yes or no? That's a command. He's saying be very, very careful how you hear the Word of God. When you're in a Bible study on Sunday morning, when you're in church on Sunday listen to Pastor Henry, when, when you're listening to that CD or you're listening to that podcast or you're reading that book or, what, or, or whatever the case may be, in the Word of God is coming into your heart and into your mind, take care how you hear. Make sure you're not that hard path. Make sure you're not like that soul with the rock underneath. Make sure you're not a soul that's filled with impurities. Make sure you're good soul. Do I understand how those two work together? No, I really don't. It's the sovereignty of God and it's the responsibility of man. You are responsible for what you hear. Because watch what he says. That word for means because. Because to the one who has, more will be given. And the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. See, if you and I are responsible for how we hear, we are responsible for our hearts. And that is a great responsibility and one which we will answer to God for. Listen, there is a hearing that barely gets started and the word is gone, is it not? There is a hearing that lasts until there's hard times in life and then it falls away. There is a hearing that flourishes for a while but then the cares of the world choke it out and it cannot produce mature fruit. But boy, there is a hearing that defeats Satan, endures trials, scorns riches, says brings any temptation, any testing, anything you can bring against me, bring it on, I'll still persevere. I'll still bring forth fruit. That's what we want. That's the hearing we want. So be very, very careful how you hear the Word of God. I want to close with this. Somebody asked me this question in a text this week. What's the fruit? That's a good question, isn't it? What's the fruit that we should be bringing forth? The, the New Testament gives us several answers to this. I think the first two are the most prevalent. Number one is Christ-like character. Christ-like character. Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. If you are a Christian, it is your destiny. It is your destiny to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Is that not what it says? You have been destined, predestined, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is your destiny. God will not... When you're a Christian from day one, you start that process. And you may go through a period where you've got all this stuff in you, and He's going to start cleaning. He's going to start cleaning. He's going to start sanctifying. And until the day you die, it never stops. More and more and more and more like Jesus. That's number one. What is this? Well... Uh, Galatians 5, 2 Peter 1 calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, excellence, knowledge, endurance, godliness, unselfishness, and the list goes on and on. Those things are fruit in our, our life. That, of course, leads to the second fruit, which is right conduct and good works. Colossians 1.10 says this, "...so you may live worthily of the Lord... And please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed. Every good deed. See, when, that, when, that, when you start changing on the inside, it affects the outside, does it not? You start changing on the inside, it just starts, it changes your marriage, it changes your friendships, it changes your finances, it changes everything because you're a different person. You're becoming a different person. And so we see the fruit in right conduct and good words. Other things, converts, for example, those who come to Christ through our witnesses, Paul calls them fruit in Romans 1 13 Thanksgiving and praise, the writer of Hebrews 13, says that these are the fruit of our lips. So there's all kind of fruit that gets produced. But I think, first and foremost, it is Christ-like character. It is becoming more like Christ. I was thinking about this this week. Whatever you sow, if I sow an apple seed, what do I expect to get from it? Apples. If I sow the word of God, what should I expect to get? See, the answer is, it sounds like it should be the word of God, right? But that's exactly what we get. We get the word of God inside of us. By the way, when I say we get the word of God, do you understand I'm saying you get Jesus? John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was, was with God. The Word was God. Jesus says, I'm the Word. I am the John 14, 6, I am the way, the What? The truth. You can't separate Jesus and the Word. You sow the Word, you get Jesus. You sow the Word, you should be reproducing the Word. You should be reproducing Jesus in our hearts. And that, of course, changes everything. Listen, preaching and teaching the Word of God is a great calling. Anybody that preaches, anybody that teaches, should do so with fear and trembling because that is a great calling. But I want you to understand, if we don't hear anything else from today's parable, there is another great calling, and that is the call to hear the Word of God. You you don't come in here, this isn't an accident, this isn't isn't happenstance, this isn't coincidence. You come in and you hear the Word of God, you you, you are ordained for that. Whether it's this morning or this afternoon or tomorrow or whatever day it may be, be careful how you hear. It is no small thing. It turns out that hearing, when, he, when you're hearing the Word of God, the stakes are very high. See, in the end, the point of the parable of the soils is not just that your own salvation and your own fruit depend on how you hear, but it also turns out that how the Word of God spreads depends on how you hear. Because, you know, it's like a grain, it's like grain, right? You bring forth grain, they take it in, they harvest, you know where they get seeds from? From that harvest, right, which then reproduces others, we reproduce many brethren. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He will be the firstborn among many brethren. We produce other Christians. We share the gospel. We, 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 it just keeps going and going and going. Hearing is such a high calling in the Christian church because your salvation depends upon it, your fruitfulness depends upon it, the spread of the gospel hangs on it, and by the way, the glory of God hangs on it. You see, when we change on the inside and we begin to do these good works, what does Jesus say about that? They shall see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the glory of God is actually depending on how we hear. Can it be any more important? So take heed how you hear the Word of God. Next week we'll cover the parable of the tares, which by the way I think is very appropriate. Because the tears talks about the fact that you got churches full of true Christians and not Christians, and they're all growing together. And what does the Lord say about that? That's in Matthew 13. Let's pray.